Hi associates! Alright, so this uh, lecture is going to be all about kind of what we consider formal documents um, for kind of business, professional, technical writing. Um, and so it might be some of the genres that you are a little bit more familiar with. They definitely are a lot maybe closer to some of those literary kind of essays and just standard like research reports, things that you may have written elsewhere. Um, but we're just going to talk about it, right, very much in our kind of business context and then a little bit in that academic uh, technical writing con context since, you know, academic writing definitely has some key differences. For example, a lot less emphasis on document design for a true academic manuscript, um, but still has a lot of overlapping and very similar concepts. All right, let me get myself in position here. Um, and so with today's, you know, talk on formal documents, the biggest thing that kind of unites these like proposals and different types of reports and strategy documents is that they are information dense, right? They are a genre or a type of document where we pack a lot of kind of heavy information into them um, because people are really reading it to just try and make decisions, really get information, kind of learn a lot. And so with that kind of info density, we're going to talk about three sort of sections. And I definitely recommend, right, try to, you know, focus for each section. Then please pause, take a break, go on a quick walk, get your snack, like take um, all of these lectures in this lecture in segments so that way you don't get burned out. All right, let's go. So, uh, the first kind of thing when we just think about, oops, where'd they go? Pack. Okay, so the first thing to think about um, is the audience, right? And so our audience for these formal genres, the proposals, the various report types, strategic documents, right? This isn't where we're trying to get like super duper like creative and different and stand out incredibly. Sure, we can do a little bit of that. Um, but our audience is really focused on using these reports to make decisions, very kind of business, let me get the information. And so because of that and who the audience is, we do have some real kind of tight expectations or people expect something very particular out of uh, the information that you're putting out there and what you're putting together. Um, and so we always want to kind of keep it really focused just on right, the business needs. Um, frankly, for our audience, they're like, I need this. I need this now. I need this for a reason. It's long. It's dense. Let's make it as easy as possible for them to understand sort of the business of your information. So some more like, you know, specific aspects, right? That rhetorical situation for our audience, thinking about the what, the when, the why of who is going to be reading it. Um, here's some just common qualities, of course, right? This is writing, this is imminent topics, situations, businesses. So you have to do, right, that what, when, why, you know, for your specific situation, but these are going to be the most common, I'd say, responses or answers that you'll probably think about with the audience. Um, and so uh, with this, here, I'll just kind of scooch over here. As far as our what, usually what is the deal? The person that's going to take the time to actually read your formal documents 
often end up being very high level, like executive level people. It's the decision makers um, in your company, um, or it's some sort of external person. So maybe you're trying to get, you know, a client or you're submitting for grant funding. Um, either way, they de definitely tend to be, you know, your much sort of higher level, um, executive, executive level decision making type people. You definitely could have to write, you know, a formal document for, you know, maybe your direct supervisor, but sometimes that can end up being a lot more informal. You know, if you're sending it to your team, you know, it's probably not intended for them, but maybe you send it to them to like help you revise it, edit it. Usually the ultimate audience tends to be these high level external people with some knowledge and awareness, right? They have most likely like requested this information from you um, or know a little bit about the thing that you're writing about. So we can also be very information dense and um, have kind of that good assumption that our key audience does have that awareness. Now, when we think about or talk about, you know, public audiences, like we might need to write uh, research, especially for like a lot of government sources, like they do publish it for a public audience. Um, but that kind of public audience um, that isn't actually trying to make a decision or doesn't already have some knowledge, they are more likely to be reading, you know, a brief of your report, right? So remember from the action reports, probably you would just give them a brief of what is in your formal report, um, or it's maybe just like a blog post or a video just kind of highlighting the work. So when we think about the what, the people who actually want your full, long, very formal, dense report probably are going to fall into these categories of clients, external people you're trying to kind of hook or, you know, executive level folks in your own organization trying to make a decision. When you think about when, most often they're actually going to be at a computer, which means we can put in links and color and expect them to like scroll and skip through. Um, and because these are long documents, they're pretty dense documents um, and people aren't printing things so much anymore, especially when we're talking about, you know, upwards 10, 20, could be like 50 or more pages, you know, just depending, that probably is not going to be printed out. Um, and so most of the time, like the when, we can definitely think of it as like, okay, they probably will be not reading it on their phone, like reading it on a computer. So we can put a lot more into kind of uh, in a little interactive features. We can feel confident putting in things like graphs and using color in our graphs um, because it probably won't be printed out. And then um, also when they tend to be around like meetings or like pitches. So often you might submit your proposal they read it and then they call you in for a pitch or sometimes you pitch your idea, give them the proposal and they'll read it if they liked, you know, your kind of quick pitch of it. Um, but usually these documents are read and created around some time of decision making, right? The information in them is really about decisions. And then last, you know, tying it all together, the why for our audience Good. They're making a decision. Their whole point, their position in the company, when they're reading it all comes down to, well, I need to make a decision about whatever the topic um, you wrote this kind of report or this research on. So again, if it's like a proposal, the decision is, do we do the thing that you're proposing? Um, but it could also be more of like a recommendation report. You know, like I did all this research. Here's some solutions. Here's maybe what I would recommend. They read it and they say, oh yeah, like, I agree with that recommendation, or maybe they tweak it, go in a different direction. Same with something like a feasibility report, very similar to a recommendation report, but this one's more specifically like, 
is this a feasible thing to do, like logistically, um, impact wise, or which is the most feasible solution? Um, but info reports, kind of general technical reports, we're reading it to learn about that topic so we can make a decision around it. So usually it's about making decisions. Um, it also could be about, you know, evaluating the merits or the significance. Again, proposals, feasibility studies really are tied into is this thing worth doing? And so our reports need to lay out all the context and the info to show if it is or is not worth doing. Um, and then last, they might be building on their knowledge. So they might request more of a information report or even a white paper. Um, white papers, they go by lots of names, but white papers tend to be seen as a much more kind of direct sort of persuasive document of like this new service or process or technique um, is amazing and you should like buy it. And so if you give somebody a white paper, they're trying to learn a lot more about your new product or your new lab technique or your new, you know, test standard um, to decide if they want to adopt it or not. So might we always think about what, when, why, when we're writing documents and um, doing things for people. In this case, formal reports, if your what, when, why falls into a very executive level, um, that is for people about to make a decision um, and really understanding a topic deeply, you might be in report territory. Okay, so a few more specific like scenarios for formal reports with that what, when, why in uh, mind. And if you're sharing really important information, now we can share important information in, you know, a memo or one of our action reports, certainly. Um, we can share really important information uh, in like a video or an infographic or something too, like that is absolutely true. Um, but when we when you kind of think like no this is like really really important <laughs> you might want to put it in that formal document format and genre because it also communicates to people when they see the full you know title page and the table of contents and it's you know thick and you're like wow this must be really important so there are some of these qualities of formal documents that we consistently use to make sure people know when they see it this is something really important and you don't want to just be writing formal reports for like, you know, kind of frivolous topics because then it, it, you know, sort of uh, devalues the importance of that genre. Um, so really important info. Um, if you're giving somebody again, a large amount of work, the way that we set up and structure formal reports, right, they are they've been created and evolved around, right, this information density. So if you have a lot that you need to share with somebody, you tie it into a formal report and then they go into it knowing I'm about to get a lot of information. Um, if you're recommending, again, really significant changes or actions, it's not just, oh, you know, here's, we're going to, um, I don't know, do something really small work. We're going to start using this printer instead of this printer. Eh, not really significant enough. That can definitely just be a nice short memo. Hey team, just so you know, right, new printers coming. No, no, no. But if you were going, you know, we're, maybe not going to have printers at all 
That could be a more significant change that requires you to first right, write it up in this formal report, give it to you know the stakeholders so they can fully decide if it's worth going you know full digital, no more printers existing in the office, um, and then you could write up your memo or your brief to let everybody else know, have the full report available to them if they are really curious why this big significant change is happening. So, you know, recommending significant things that inherently present a large amount of work that went into the decision and are really important. Um, and then last, convincing folks just to buy into your, your idea. This comes much more with proposals. Um, but yeah, again, you want to show off this, like, I'm taking this super seriously. This is, you know, a lot of work is going to be in here. So I'm giving you this very formal document to kind of show that I'm serious. And again, in the process of convincing somebody that this is a good idea, you inherently are going to have important information, probably a large amount of work and talking about something significant. So those are kind of the four, maybe most common scenarios that you um, might encounter. Of course, there's more. Um, um, but I'd say that's like kind of the biggest sort of themes or chunks where we tend to see these reports showing up. Uh, now, the last kind of big scenario is definitely, you know, this idea of right research. Um, when we're talking about, again, uh, academics, absolutely, right? I have to write very formal research reports to submit to conferences and journals. Right, if you're going to go into grad school, boom, you'll be writing this kind of specific research manuscript um, as a sub kind of type of formal report. But for those of you going out into the industry, right, you also could be writing formal reports. If you work in a research and development team, you know, for a company coming up with new products and, and services and software. Uh, if you end up going and working for like a government agency, you might need to, you know, write up these kind of very formal documents, formal reports. Um, if you uh, end up needing to do things like industry case studies for your company. There's a lot of settings where these formal reports still come up um, that in, that focus around sort of research and providing research to people and explaining, you know, research to people. So again, still, we can take that research, take that information, move forward with some sort of action and decision. So we think about it a lot in academics, um, but definitely people are conducting research outside of like an academic setting, even outside of like a, a science lab setting, um, and having to report out their findings to their company. So with the audience in mind, those scenarios in mind, right, there's some key features uh, that really unite these ideas of formal documents and formal reports. First, right, they tend to be pretty high stakes and you're sending it to kind of pretty high level decision makers in your company or um, out in your field, your client, somebody deciding if they're going to give you, you know, the grant money, the business, that kind of stuff. So pretty high stakes, uh, which just means you are going to want to or are going to want to go through lots of rounds of let me first brainstorm and sketch and draft and get a really solid draft and then get some feedback and revise it and get some more feedback and revise it, you know, and then finally submit it. So these are definitely not things that we just want to be like, 
one, you know, one and done. I wrote it up. I think that's good enough. Uh, they are high stakes. They are a lot of work. So we do spend quite a bit of time and resources, you know, going through and making sure that they are then polished, credible. You know, think about who you're sending it to, why they want it, right? It needs to look very neat, very polished to show how much work you've kind of put into it, how important this topic, this change, this thing really is. Um, and then they embed, you know, a lot of things that enhance the credibility, um, might be, you know, citations. Again, maybe it's very kind of academic research citations. Other times, maybe it's you citing data, you know, from your own company that's driving this decision. Um, or other times, maybe, you know, you're just citing logical things from your industry about, you know, the topic, but mostly right, we are going to be having a reference list and using the citations, synthesizing the information that we find to drive, right, this information and these actions. And then last, they tend to be pretty rigid. So that way people can skip and skim. Information dense, people looking to make a decision and people high up in your company, they want to go to the section that they know and expect should be there. Um, and we need to make it very easy for them to skip and skim to that information. And so nice, you know, it's kind of saying, oh, we have a lot of expectations in this genre, not a ton of room to like play around, right? This is not really the time to get very creative in what you're calling your like headings and your titles and not necessarily the time to be moving things around and like making it really like kind of wacky or just like, it's not necessarily always the time to super express yourself. Um, do that within the sections, sure. Um, you can do that with maybe the overall design, depending on your specific who. Um, but really, we do want to keep it with these pretty expected rigid sections so people can go, I want to see, you know, the background literature. Nope, I just want to go to the budget. No, I really want to go to your, you know, results in your analysis. And we make it very easy for them to like skip and skim and jump to the sections they actually want when they're trying to learn and make the decision. Um, so that's kind of the, the key thing that we really want to keep in mind. So that was kind of section one. Uh, talking about audience, the what's up, take a little break, again, pause me, go take a walk, do whatever you need. Um, and then when you're ready, come back and we will actually talk about uh, some specific genres um, and just a few features, look at some examples of these genres. All right. <laughs> so um, with those scenarios, right, we're going to unpack the big genre types, mainly uh, proposals, uh, the types of just kind of report, uh, and then a str strategy is kind of strategic vision type document. Um, and just remember right, these types of documents, they stay pretty rigid. We pretty much always expect to see incarnations of these sections and labeled pretty like directly, pretty literally, um, because of the information density, it's a way to really pack all the information somebody really needs to understand, make a decision and move forward. Um, and it packs that information in a way that's very easy to skip and scan and people know what to expect. Cool. So some common features across the board for all of these, 
you can, you know, adjust slightly, but also pretty much this is what you want to be doing. Um, this is what they expect. So um, we tend to do what we call correspondence at the very beginning. Um, very traditionally, if you really want to go super formal, super traditional, um, you would write a memo or a letter that goes at the very, very, very beginning. And it basically, you think of it as like, you know, way back in the traditional days, right? You would have maybe this like cover letter or this memo as the first page of the thing like you're faxing or if you're mailing it to somebody so that way they can read your, you know, cover letter, your memo and be like, oh yes, okay, this is the, you know, uh, recommendation report about, you know, the, the new change to the city infrastructure. I don't know. Um, nowadays, right? Maybe you're just sending an email that, you know, introduces, hey, by the way, attached, you know, is this report, you still are going to summarize what's in it so they can read the email and be like, okay, cool, I will actually read this proposal, cool, I am the right person to read this recommendation report, uh, cool, I need to use this, you know, strategy. Um, that's probably more common, but even still, and if we still want to add that extra air formality, you know, you can pop a letter on the beginning of your packet. So you might have a letter that's like really formally introducing it as part of your like PDF that you send to somebody in an email where you're just briefly like, you know, please find the feasibility, the results of our feasibility study that you commissioned, you know, reach out with the question. So you might have um, you know, a very short email as the delivery system for right, your PDF packet with your memo or your letter really introducing it. Um, but the, the big picture, the thing to know, these are super formal. They're long, they're dense, they're for important people who are very busy trying to make decisions. So we do often put some sort of little memo letter or like an email correspondence to kind of summarize and introduce uh, what it is that they're about to read and like invest their time in. Then we get to the front matter, key things that we expect. Again, this is what really shows this is a formal document um, compared to like other forms of writing or documents is that we have a, a clear title page and you're like, wow, title page. Um, then we give them the table of contents because remember we, they want to be able to skip and skim um, and jump to the section that they need in the moment. List of figures is like a table of contents for just all of your graphics and visuals and charts. Um, so again, if I am the finance person on the committee, I'm going to be super interested and maybe want to jump straight to, you know, your projections for the the sales or something, or I'm going to want to jump straight to what is the budget and how is this money going to be spent um, versus somebody else, you know, might be more interested in the impacts and the value and they want to jump right to that table. So table of contents, list of figures, super important. These are long documents. People want to jump to the section that they care about most. Um, and this is what allows them to do that very quickly. And then we um, provide another summary. Again, this might be in the form of an abstract. So a lot of like the research papers um, that you're reading through for like your projects, or they have an abstract that's gonna be more of that 250 word-ish, kind of basically paragraph summarizing, capturing all the key key highlights from the report. Um, if it's a really long report, um, or often in more of like a true business sort of sphere, we see more executive summaries, which does the same thing. It's just can be longer abstracts. We really do contain them to like 
under 300 words. Uh, executive summaries can actually go on for even a couple pages if you know your your report is that intense and lengthy. Um, but in both cases, it's hey before you invest all this time reading my you know whatever 30 page report here just read you know this one page or this little paragraph so you can decide and go into it knowing what the seconds are going to be what the outcomes are what to expect uh, then we have the body core content again it's long so make sure there's lots of headings so people can scan and skip this is where we embed our data visualizations and our charts and our graphics and our um, photographs and things that make it very clear and easy for somebody to visualize and understand and interpret the information in the body is where we get to express our creativity a little bit more um, still within some boundaries of okay in the results we want to see a results section we want to know exactly the outcomes of your study or what you're proposing the outcomes will be and then within that you know we can make some you know decisions of what visualizations are going to serve us best uh, and then last we always end with some back matter um, the back matter reference list and information dense polished credible so we've got to have our references to show how our work our ideas our proposal our report um exists right in the larger conversation around this topic or to show kind of why right this is a good um sound sort of information moving forward um often we see a glossary and information dense well we can assume our readers have some knowledge about the topic already um, it is common that we're like introducing maybe more sort of terms or jargon or we just really want to make sure that we're all on the same page. So we often offer that glossary with really good technical definitions, which are a little different than regular definitions. Um, so in your glossary, right, we wanna make sure that we identify the thing, what type of thing the thing is, and actually it's characteristics or features that make it different than other things. So technical definitions can run quite a bit longer than what you might find in, you know, Merriam-Webster's dictionary. Um, and they often are also written in like complete sentences. Uh, and then any appendices that clarify info. Sometimes you have them, sometimes you don't, sometimes you have a lot of them. Um, often I'd say the most common things would be like, here's the full uh, maybe raw data table. So in the report itself, it's like, no, I just want to highlight, you know, these couple key um, data points. That's like the most important for you to understand. But somebody might want to go back and look at, you know, the larger table. That's what you could put in an appendency. Um, so it's kind of like that. Think of it as this is still very important and it's what my report was built off of. Um, it's really good for you to know or have access to, but I'm not expecting you to read it necessarily like the appendices in as readers we can say okay this is kind of further reading for me um so that, you know if you like interviewed people or did like surveys maybe you attach just the interview questions or the survey questions as an appendices so people get know a little bit more about like your data and your methods you know those are the four core sections and then we just see some differences in the specific uses and type of report. So let's jump into those. The first one, thinking about proposals. Proposals, um, yes, 
They can be short and informal, right? You could just send an email to your boss that's technically proposing something that you want to do. Absolutely exists, happens. Today though, we are talking about the formal, most rigid type of proposal. So as always, these things can exist on a scale. We're gonna focus on the very like formal kind of versions um, and not kind of those informal ones. Um, and just like a little side note, like I definitely have had bosses and it was really helpful who said, okay, send me up kind of your pitch or like your mini proposal, just like in an email or like a one page little document, um, before we jump into like writing up a full like proposal. Um, so that was really nice to kind of map it out, um, be able to talk about it with her, um, and then go and do all of the work it takes to kind of write up the formal proposal that we then, you know, sent on to much higher stakes, higher level people. So proposals, they are persuasive documents um, at their core, right? It is trying to convince the reader to adopt your idea or make the change or, you know, accept your bid, whatever it is you are, right? proposing someone. I have an idea. I want you to approve this idea. Um, so there's a lot of planning that goes, uh, that appears in the proposal um, to kind of help persuade um, and a, a roadmap and sort of lay out the project and its expectations. So common sections. Right. Again, these are common sections that appear in all of these formal reports, but proposals, you know, kind of shift it just a little bit. So again, we have the front matter, right? That's your table of contents and your title page, list of figures. Uh, we definitely have a summary. Again, tell people what it is you're proposing, key features, key highlights, key reasons, nice, short, sweet. And then I can decide if I really want to engage more with it. And then you give them introduction, background pretty much gonna happen all the time, orient people to the topic, give them that context. Then we start getting into sections um, that really talk about like the method. So, you know, if you're proposing to do some work for people, right? How are you gonna get it done? If you're proposing research, you know, what method are you gonna use? Um, and then you might also talk about the goals, why this project is important or worth doing, um, what is the point of this idea, and then this, what we would just call scope, which is kind of like the, the boundaries of the work, right? We can't do all things or all people on all projects. So the scope just represents that like, and this is just gonna address, you know, this kind of piece of it, or we're just gonna do, this kind of work and then maybe there will be a second project when we get done with that to expand the scope something like that and then deliverables what are you actually going to give the person if they approve it what's actually going to come out of this work budgets timelines things that persuade people right we're in this business professional technical world things cost time and money people want to know exactly the time and money that um, you're projecting to spend conclusion always like to review wrap it up uh, and then we give them some back matter and so when we're thinking um, in kind of a, a persuasive way as well it's like often right we, we can go back to our rhetorical tools right uh, we have the ethos kind of showing your credibility or bringing in right uh, very credible voices um, showing some of that introduction some of that background um, some of these methods can all really help build up like your credibility and just the credibility of what you're about to do. Um, and then we have logos, which is kind of about uh, the logic of it. And that's where we start to get into like, 
you know, some of the scope, the budget, the timeline, um, and your methods can all build up like, here's the good reasons why and how it's going to work, right? Really laying out clearly to be like, see, this is a good idea. And then pathos um, is kind of sort of the emotional draw you can think of it as more complicated but you can think of it as like a little emotion like really making them feel like why and that's where we can get into some of the background um some of the conclusion um even some of the like deliverables we're really just being like and here's why it matters right maybe you pull in stories of people that are going to be impacted that your proposal is going to you know help address their situation or for other audiences honestly that emotional appeal might be how much money this proposal is going to make for them right and you want to really make sure the the deliverables they feel the value for themselves. Um, so those are the sections um, and how we can use those sections. They're kind of set up to help us persuade people of what we want to do. Um, and so kind of the four key uh, goals or types of content that appear across our seven core sections. Um, and one, right, we need to know there's a problem or a, a, a reason to write the proposal, right? So we really do a lot of work to set up the problem, the reason in the introduction, the background. So at the end of the day, it's like, why would I approve this like expensive time consuming thing if I don't think that there's actually a problem or a reason that needs a, a proposed action to begin with. Um, and so um, if your problem is weak, or maybe it's a very real problem, but your introduction and your background section is, you know, weak and is not written and presented in a way that really shows the problem, then the rest of the, you know, proposal is going to be a lot weaker. And it's just hard to persuade people to do things if they don't see a problem to begin with. But, and this is why we like skippable, scannable, very clear documents, some readers might already be on board with your problem. So they might skip, right, your background altogether, you know, and jump straight into, okay, well, what is your idea? I agree. There is a problem here. This is why I commissioned your proposal from your team. Um, and so they want to skip to you explaining, here's the idea, here's the solution, here's the thing that we're presenting. Um, and that is usually going to, you know, appear somewhere in this method, goals, scope kind of situation. Here's what we are proposing to do, how it's going to work um you know why it's gonna work so uh, again solutions can be in more of a broad sense sometimes we're proposing like a literal solution to a company's problem but other times you know it's more of why like your your business proposal your research is just worth funding or completing a little bit more generally um but either way make sure in your kind of methods goals scope that you're explaining what is your idea, your solution, the thing that you're planning on doing, um, and how it's going to address that problem or context meaningfully. Um, and so that's where kind of this trophy is. It's like, here's my idea, and here's how it is going to be meaningful and actually is like the idea for the solution that you set up. Uh, and then last, we just get into kind of the logistics of it, right? That's your deliverables, budgets, timelines. We want to talk about the implementation, right? Proposals, really always you want to have a section about implementation. Again, you're persuading somebody to let you do this. One key way to build up that, that credibility of those ethos and to offer even some more logos, some of that logic to help them make a de rational decision is I really know and have a great grasp on who, when, how, 
the cost of this idea and I know exactly what's going to be delivered to you and just presenting that information to them and the deliverables. And then you just kind of review, right? Your problem, your solution, why it's a good solution, how it's going to get done in your conclusion, review, wrap it up and boom, hopefully they, they grant you the money or they say, yes, go off and do it. Anyway, in terms of just like a quick ethics note, I mean, proposals like all documents have a lot of ethics professionalism built into them. Um, like since we are trying to persuade someone that our idea or project is valid, useful, worth pursuing, we don't want to obscure the truth. We don't want to, you know, inflate numbers or the importance or try to like trim down the budget and the timeline to unrealistic levels just to get the money or the yes, right? The key here is to deliver honestly, like this is really what it's going to take, what we expect it to do, why it's important. Um, and you want to do that honestly and with like strong ethics, because if they do approve it and you've sort of misled them or, you know, lied or whatever, I mean, it's going to come out when you start doing the project and suddenly you're like, oops, we're out of money. Oops. Like we didn't really deliver what we said. And so it's always going to come back to you anyway. Um, and so we really, you know, with this ethics note, really pay attention to things like, you know, the work schedule, right? Giving it truly, this is how long we think it's going to take. Give yourself some of, you know, some cushions for uh, things that are going to pop up, but don't over inflate it. So that way you're like, yeah, I'm going to set expectations low. So I'm like, no, like try to be realistic, honest, actually try to map out how much time do you think it's going to take. Um, make sure you explain what you'd call just quality control. So again, it's like, how are you going to ensure that you are going to be effective and you are going to deliver, you know, on the things that you said you're going to do and do it efficient, efficiently and not waste their money. Um, and then, of course, be very honest about the budget. Your budget might be huge. If you need that money, say that you need that money, you know, up front and why so that way you aren't you know, hopefully going back and asking for more later. Um, so this page is in the reference sway for you. It came from our um, Markle and Selber uh, sort of textbook that I've linked in there for you um, so you can read about it more. But the big picture here is just like, be honest, right? Like, it's just not that hard. Like, be honest, um, try to, you know, estimate appropriately, ask for what you need, uh, and don't, you know, inflate or, you know, undervalue. Um, just be honest. So that way, everybody, you know, kind of gets what they want and expect out of the proposal. All right. Uh, so kind of the basic packet that you might end up turning in, um, is going to look something like this. This is only a 10 page proposal. So it's you know, pretty short. Um, this was like an example proposal from a previous class, um, for a, a business solution. Um, but again, proposals could be extremely short. They could be really, really, really long. It just depends what you're asking for, who you're sending it to. Um, and for, my like future researchers, those interested in grad school, um, your proposals might be really, really long. So like my grad program actually had me submit a full proposal for my dissertation and have to defend it, which is like, I'm um, not uncommon, but not 
super usual, but anyway, before I could start my actual dissertation research. And so I turned in and wrote basically a 90 page proposal and document and then went through a full like defense of that proposal. Um, now, I got to turn those 90 pages into kind of the start of my final dissertation. So it also helped me do a lot of that like background. Here's the context. Here's the literature. Here's the problem. Right. Here's my methods um, up front. That was really cool. I know students in other departments submitted more like a 30 page or less just prospectus um, and proposal for their research. So it just kind of depends. Um, on on what it's going to look like but yeah proposals usually are going to range somewhere between 10 and you know upwards of however many 50 pages um but the key kind of sections that we see and again this like student example um it was about this proposal to research like effective measures um for uh enforcing like cannabis driving safety um, when Amendment 64 kind of first passed in Colorado. And so, right, they have their first opening letter, that transmittal written, you know, to the um, like state police force here, title page, you know, just identifying, explaining, you know, what's going on. Um, and then we have things like the table of contents. People can jump to all the little sections introduction right this is going to be the body we got the intro here's like the problems this explains all the solutions we have a nice table here showing things like the timeline the deliverables references popping up here um, glossary and then an appendices and in this case they provided a news article that was basically explaining why um, like one solution like just is not feasible at all. And so it's kind of like, yeah, people might say this, but we didn't address it in our proposal because look, like <laughs> this research says it's definitely a no-go right away. Um, one thing just to know and why I've given you such a high level view is because, ooh, proposals are info dense. Add tables, add graphs, right? Add smart charts that show timeline progression. Don't give people just pages and pages that look like, you know, this or look like this. That will make them sad and they won't want to read it because who wants to read 10 pages of just paragraph after paragraph? Embed some of these helpful visuals charts designed to make it easy to skip and skim around. Okay, now there's one kind of specific type, we'll call it grant proposals. Um, and I mean, we literally have a whole entire upper division class about grant writing and grant proposal writing. Um, but just know with grant proposals, right, they are specifically asking for money, basically. Um, and so they'll almost always have an RFI, RFP, any of those kind of like little three letter acronyms basically is like request for proposal or request for information. And you just follow the directions. It's really just like getting an assignment sheet. They'll tell you what they want to see, what you need to include, how you need to include it, what they expect, and then you follow those directions and they basically grade your proposal um, to figure out who is going to get the grant. Um, and so usually these RFPs want to know things like right, your organization's mission, maybe samples of um, who you support, who you help, work you've done before, how you've contributed to your community, who your you know target audience is, is your idea feasible? If they give you the money, can you actually implement you know what you're proposing, uh, and how it fits into the funder's mission? Um, and so all those things tend to show up in these grant proposals. 
that you just embed into that basic structure. And here's just like a quick um, example. This came from the National Science Foundation. So the NSF gives away a lot right, of money in pursuit of like research projects and um, people advancing, you know, science-y type stuff to support people. Um, and so this is actually, their RFP goes on for like 80 pages because they are giving away you know, $50 million, upwards of $75 million, right? So when you're competing for a lot of money, you are going to have a really long set of instructions, that RFP that they're expecting. Um, it's super high stakes. And so you're going to have to put a lot of detail information in there. Again, keep it very rigid so they can find exactly what they asked for. Um, and obviously this is very high stakes because you're trying to get a lot of money. This is generally like this is a real snip from their their site for a real RFP, right? Um, and so they have like, you know, here's the topic that you know this particular proposal should you know have around it, um, the timeline, right? The dates, right? You have to get this turned in May 18th. Again, kind of treat it like an assignment. Um, and then here's all the things that you need to know about it, if you're eligible, what you should include. They have things like the criteria, right? Think of that as your, you know, assignment rubric. Uh, and then you just need to deliver to kind of get the get the funds, get the monies. All right, now we're gonna talk about reports. Um, again, there's lots of different types of reports. We're gonna focus on recommendations um, and then just like informative reports. Uh, so two big buckets today. Um, and so often after you get your proposal actually approved and you do the project, then you might need to write a report, write about it. It can be like one of the deliverables is your actual report on what you accomplished. Um, and so, yeah, in the general work environment, typically it's some sort of you did this project to give us a good recommendation or maybe study the feasibility of something. Um, or you might jump straight to just here's an informative report that doesn't necessarily have a proposal first. Uh, in terms of these common sections and your goal, it's information dense. Help them make sense of the information. So we can again see front matter, summary, introduction and background all pretty much the same. Give us the context, help us figure out what you're talking about, how I can find the info. Then we get into the methods, goals, and scope. And if it's more of a research thing, you'll have way more emphasis on the method. Um, if it's more of like, like general information, you might talk more about the goals and like where you, your boundaries or scope of your research. But in some way it'll be like, here's what we were researching and how. Um, and then big emphasis on findings, analysis, discussion. Sometimes these could be broken into their own sections, um, you know, just depending on, on what your results are. But you will talk about, here's what we found, right? And again, lots of data visualizations and images and design to help people comprehend and understand that information. Then conclusion, back matter. It's a report, just help people understand the information, walk the reader, through you know all the pieces that they need to know to ultimately understand uh, the value and what you got. And so one thing that we do because people like to skip these sections a lot is actually write and rephrase our overall purpose statement, right? The purpose of this research was to 
examine the effects of blah, 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 right? We re-say that in kind of every single section. So if somebody skipped your background and jumped straight to your methods, they would still know the purpose, right? Or if they jump straight to the findings and maybe back up to the background, right? They know and aren't lost. They are oriented every single way. So given the purpose statement, key context reminders at the start of kind of every section. So that way, no matter where they jump into your report, they'd be like, yeah, cool. Makes sense. All right, uh, here's just a little example of one from UCCS this is our 2022 annual campus security fire safety report. Um, again, we know it's very important official report. It's got a whole title page, table of contents. They started off with this um, letter from the chief of police talking about why it's important. They did something interesting where they actually used the letter as like the introduction to their report. That's definitely not as standard or expected, but you know, this is writing. There's a lot of different ways to express that info. Um, the key thing is that they do have an intro to explain it all and they, again, formatted it as a letter to kind of give it this different sort of air, I guess, of importance and connection to the community. Um, and then in, you know, the table of contents here, list of figures here, what are the key sections? You know, where can we find this information? Like, what are we, what are we looking at? What are we up to? Let me just jump straight to, you know, the section that I want. Uh, here's an example of just an abstract. Um, this came from a NASA study linked in this way. Um, abstracts, short, again, it's basically 250-ish words, um, just kind of explaining the key context. You kind of walk through all the sections of your report, but in like one paragraph, and make sure that we actually right, have purpose statements. So we can see in this abstract, boom, right here, they tell us right away what this is doing, right? This review aims to bring together studies on this design, this chapter, you know, provides an overview of successful experiments. Um, so make sure that you really embed your purpose into the abstract or the summary so people can read it, know what to expect, know what's happening. And then as you, you know, as a reader, as a researcher, look at the abstracts, look for the purpose statements to give you a hint of if this is relevant and important for your research and information. Cool. Um, here's just one other example of an abstract. And again, we see the exact, you know, purpose and context of the study, right? It's that, you know, this paper reflects on the ways, um, let's see, uh, the case studies, do, 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 right? This paper reflects on the ways that podcasts, particularly those that told stories about films, blah, 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 served as a community building function. So this is a very um, academic abstract, right? It was sent specifically based on a call for papers um, for a conference. Um, and so sometimes they have more instructions for you. In this case, they're like, you need to write this author's note for us. So I made sure to do that before I submitted it. Um, so abstracts, super helpful, super fun. Um, we'll practice them a little bit in class, but just think, can I summarize basically each key section of my report in like a sentence or two to build you know, one little paragraph that tells people what your research and your study was about. Okay. Um, table of contents, again, lots of ways that we can do it, but again, this uh, formal report, this came from the National Park Service or Forest Service 
abstract definitions. They put their definitions up front instead of at the end, as long as we have them, helpful for the reader. Um, introduction, methods of research, results of the research. They said to do this very specific case study. You can jump right to that. Discussion is really about, okay, here's the raw results. Now let me explain how the results matter or the impacts or contributions. Summary slash kind of conclusion review, um, and then references and supplemental material, which is just their appendices. So again, start to see this pattern over and over. Okay, so that's reports. Um, kind of no matter which type of report, which direction you're going in, you just want to always make sure, intro, explain the methods, the scope, tell them the results lead it into some sort of discussion summary so we know what to do with the information. All right, and then the last kind of big category of formal reports that you might see just in your professional journey um, are strategic plans. Their goal is just directing kind of the path forward for people. Um, and so with strategic plans, they have a bit more sections, again, still, to the core of a formal report, but we tend to see more, right, same introduction, background information, right, that stays the same, we love it. They tend to focus more on like the vision and the mission of maybe a company, have a very specific SWOT, strength, weakness, opportunity, threats, kind of that situational analysis. So again, the goal of a strategic kind of report is to be like, here's what we're going to do moving forward, um, usually at like a company level. Um, goals, objectives, right? What is the point? What are we trying to achieve in this strategy? Um, the key audience members, the targets um, of the strategy, kind of the why. Uh, and then we get into, think of these almost as the methods, but it's like, what are we actually going to do to achieve, right, our goal? What are our direct strategies, tactics, and then same budget, calendar, timeline, conclusion. Um, and so there's kind of two spheres where I start to see these strategic documents coming up. Again, very formal, usually sent to or written on behalf of or written by the leadership level to help direct the other leaders in the company um, of what we're going to do forward and kind of direct all the employees of like, here's our mission, here's what we're trying to do next on one hand, and then the other way is um, very specific to marketing. And it's like, we wanna have all these strategic aspects built out so the client knows what our campaign plan is, right? Or our team knows, you know, what we're trying to work towards with this new marketing kind of objective. So here, again, linked in this way for you, um, is the 2030 um, success plan. Uh, is a 2030 success plan from UCCS. Um, and so again, right, title page, this one is, you know, a lot more like designed and kind of pretty strategy documents can be a little bit more um, fun, especially this was the public facing version. I'm sure the one that like the president or the chancellor read was a lot more um, straightforward and standardized, but we still have table of contents after a title page, right? We're showing introduction, here's kind of our mission, our values, strategies and tactics, all the specific ways we're going to accomplish these goals, how it aligns, you know, what, how we're gonna evaluate it, kind of big reasons why. Um, and so definitely recommend if you have not seen this, read this, like go check it out, right? This is the next, the plan for the next, you know, 10 years, or I guess at this point, 
seven years for this campus um, and to read this and, and kind of see what is the strategy that we are working towards as a community. Um, and then we also have like social media strategies, um, which are similar, but a little bit more precise than just like an organizational strategic report. Um, so when I worked in PR and social media, I had to write these like all the time right, to get approval for campaigns. Uh, but also, so my team, my intern, my staff, right, we all were working, right, with the same voice, same goal. We knew like what we were going to do next. Uh, and then when I left those positions, I could leave. I literally left all these strategic plans, these campaign strategies, these social media strategies. Um, so that way the next person could, you know, continue the work without, you know, a gap. Um, in content, especially in that space. It's like you can't just go silent. <laughs> you got to keep keep things moving. Um, and so we start with things like um, the environmental scan. I mean, first I had an introduction, background, here's the company, you know, here's kind of what we've been up to. And then we jump into those more um, specific sections of things like the environmental scan, breaking down legal factors for that company we have to consider in our plan, economic factors, community factors, strengths, weaknesses, all of that kind of was written out in several pages. And then things like the strategy, um, you know, what are our goals, our concepts for this campaign, this work, specific goals, what does it mean to sustain online donorship, what's our actual like objective here, how's the metrics that we're going to see if we accomplish the objective. So you really go through and like talk about all of that. Um, definitely include, right, still visuals, help people understand the data behind your decisions, behind the strategy. What makes it strategic is that it is informed. Um, and then, you know, I end with the actual voice style. Here's the legit things that we want to do. It just as kind of like an introduction. Um, these strategies are definitely super common for marketing folks. Um, and if you are on that track or you end up in a position, I'm sure you'll take classes that are solely dedicated to campaign planning. Um, but again, as that kind of intro, think of it as a very formal document, helping people make decisions, move forward, keep your team on track. Um, and it is very kind of uh, detailed information dense so you know exactly what's going on. Um, these campaign strategies can also be used as like a quasi proposal. Again, you give it to the client so they can approve, right, the strat, the campaign or the marketing strategy. All right, uh, take another break if you want, and then we're going to just wrap up with a little bit on graphics. Um, and so visuals are important for a lot of formal report writing because they are information dense. Reading that much is like, you know, taxing on the audience. People are trying to understand the content so they can make a decision. Um, and so we want to have some visual complements to our writing to make that whole process a little bit better for everybody. So the first kind of reasons why I like graphics, right? I could write this all out in a paragraph or I could just make a little visual to show you, right? So things that graphics can do and why I like using them. Um, they can help grab attention a little bit, you know, like they do. I do like them for that reason, not the key reason, but if somebody sees a graphic, right, their eyes tend to go right to it. Um, they tend to read the like caption around it um, and it just makes our work a little bit less intimidating, a little bit more interesting right off the bat. That's often why even we have graphics on our title pages. So it's not just like a report. It's like, ooh, 
what's that report? So a little bit of like, let's just make it look nice so people like it. Um, but that's just a tiny piece of the pie. Um, the biggest reason is because it just saves a lot of words and space. I love writing, right? I love writing so much that I went to grad school and got a, you know, a PhD um, in sort of technical communication, journalism, writing. I love it, but I'm not trying to write more than I have to. I don't love it that much. I'm not writing for the sake of writing ever, right? And so anytime I can save some words, some space, some of my like actual writing on a page, absolutely, I'm going to do that. Um, and so graphics, visuals are really, really fantastic at that, um, especially because graphics are so important in demonstrating like numerical relationships, as well as things like spatial information. They can be really good to explain steps in a process. All of that takes a lot of words to describe and you can just capture it in an image so much easier instead. Um, and then other kind of key reasons we like graphics, they're really good at translating meaning. So again, if you have words, you have to translate it into all these different like languages. Um, whereas like a photograph or an image or a diagram um, doesn't have as much that we need to translate. Like they uh, are better at sort of again, inherently showing the meaning instead of us having to describe the meaning. Uh, and then last, they emphasize information. Again, people's eyes get drawn to them. It's kind of burns a visual into their brain. And so it can really be great at emphasizing like kind of these key points or moments. So think about graphics as where do I want to guide my reader? What information do I really want them to remember to stand out? And what is this going to be honestly more economical for me to show in a graphic than trying to write it out in a bunch of paragraphs. In terms of some of the choices that we get to make, um, you know, if it's, again, a lot of numbers, data, we're going to be looking at things like tables, different types of graphs, line graphs, pie charts, all are going to be, you know, kind of helpful. Um, just to talk about like the actual data itself. If it's more of like a relationship, diagrams, org charts end up being extremely useful. Again, it takes a lot of time to like explain the relationship of something when you could just show right, a diagram of here's the structure of our company. Um, if it's like descriptions of things um, or any kind of visual like spatial characteristics of things, again, give us a diagram, give us a line drawing, give us a schematic, give us an actual photo. Don't take all this time to try and describe in words the shape of, you know, South America and all these countries in relation to each other. Just give me a map so I can actually see, you know, the shape and the relationship. Instead of trying to explain all the little details, you know, of this like plane or this equipment part, just give me a photo of it and then I can see it, you know, right away. Um, so those are kind of the key reasons and uses. Um, of visuals, uh, and we'll talk through a few more specific examples here. So first, photographs, right? Photographs, um, again, instead of describing things, new product, location, or process, just gonna be easier to show people a photograph. Uh, so you might, you know, you know, I love Breath of the Wild. I'm very into my replay right now. Um, and right, we have all of like Link's sort of forgotten moments and memories. Um, and so they give you right a photo instead of describing where to find this thing, 
there's the photo. And then as I'm around the landscape, I know, oh, okay, I need to go near the castle. Okay, I can imagine this. I can see this. Um, you know, oh, I need to go more over to like Gerudo and the desert. Okay, that's that landscape. So giving people a photo is really, really great at showing a, a location or a process. And also people tend to remember a photo of a place or a thing better than a description of it. So don't sleep on photographs. Use photographs. We love photographs in technical communication. They're just, they save a lot of time and they actually help people remember things a lot better. Other types of photographs in a more like, you know, specific professional way. Again, if you have some sort of process or specific new piece of equipment, it can be a lot more of a like, wow, if you just give them a photo of it and then you can explain the context in the caption because they go, wow, what is this photo? Then they actually read your caption versus if this was just one big paragraph, they'd be like, wow, he wrote a whole page of information and then they skip it. So use photographs to give you that like, wow, people are going to look at it and then they'll read your caption. And they'll be like, whoa, love it, get it. Other times, things like illustrations are really helpful. So it's kind of like a photo, but it's a, an illustration. Um, can show like parts. So right in this car, for example, it'd be really hard to explain where things like the battery packs located in words way faster, way easier to make a nice illustration. Again, in this case, it's better than a, a photograph because you can make right this translucent and kind of draw all these little arrows and pieces and skip parts of the car. Um, it would be a lot harder to see it in a true photo of a car. Um, so illustrations are really good when you need to show like the internal workings of something um, or a cross section of something especially. Um, visuals can also be used to show a schedule, right? Maybe a project management calendar. Um, this, in this case, it's like a student calendar. So maybe your outlook looks something like this, or you could turn your outlook into something like this to help you organize your time. Um, but we can use this kind of calendar based approach in our proposals, right? To show the project timeline and how it's going to be managed and who's going to be working on what and when and where. Again, Boom, one calendar tells us a lot of information that would take so many words to try and describe, you know, what the schedule is going to be. This is a closer thing of a drawing, kind of a work chart sort of type of line drawing schematic. I mean, the theme is the same here. Pause and try to, in your words, describe how the this intern is related to the director. It's like, oh man, you gotta talk about how this intern, well, he was hired and is overseen by the data analyst, but the data analyst and the intern are both underneath our content specialist, which is kind of like in a parallel route to our business people and our techs. But you know, there's a manager that oversees the content people and a coordinator over the business people. Everybody's under the, the director. Like lost, confused, so many words, so much effort. Just give me a diagram and it just makes it easier for everybody to actually visualize where they exist, right, in this process, where this task exists in the process. Um, line drawings are just kind of very simplified versions of illustrations. Sometimes, often, right, less is more. We don't have to have every single little detail on, you know, in this case, like a little part, um, when instead we can just show them the key details that they need. Um, they're also really good at what we call cross-section. So again, if you have to show the inside of something, you might pick more of a line drawing of it um, than like a photo 
or a more detailed illustration just so we can get the sense of whatever is kind of inside the thing that you need to show um, in your proposal for right, this new product that you want to make and you want to develop um, or the inside of whatever thing you are researching. Maps. I mean, I'm just repeating myself at this point. Imagine trying to explain in words what this map is showing, right? Water transfers by origin all over the United States. Instead, in words, we can talk about how California, right, has so many. There's a lot of density in the, the mountains, right? We can see these pockets. Sure, that's easier to explain in words. Trying to be like every piece of data in here, it's just too much to try and say when you could just show me a picture, um, a map illustration instead. We're almost there um, and, you know, we'll have a lot more just time and info on data visuals specifically, but graphs, right? We saw this data visual come up a lot as COVID spread and the idea of like, we need to flatten the curve became a very easy visual for people to imagine and remember and gave them kind of a goal and a reason of why we have to, you know, try and minimize the spread. And so with this one line, right, it indicates kind of the healthcare capacity in our system. I uh, say so these peaks are how many people are like infected or sick. When we try to talk about that in words, we're like, yeah, yeah, I get it. But then when you see how, you know, our peak infections were so far above our capacity, suddenly that visual can resonate with people, maybe increase the likelihood that they adopt what you're proposing or they actually understand the significance, you know, of the thing that you are reporting out on. Um, so whenever possible, try to represent data in a more visual form because it's just so much faster and easier for people to understand and gives them something to really remember. Uh, and then last, we can kind of talk about tables. This is actually a more visual representation of a table, which I really, really like. It came from the Pew Research Center. And so um, what right, it's showing is that TikTok sort of adults are getting their news. And so while this could just be a straight regular table with the rows and the columns, and like, you know, the same data is presented by connecting these little lines and dots having these spark lines on it, suddenly it's like, oh wow, TikTok is like the only one really dramatically going up. Interesting, right? Where if this was just written out in only numbers, it'd kind of be like, yeah, technically I, I see that, you know, it's going up, but it's not going to like register, right, in our brains quite as much. Um, so even really, really small amounts of visuals, like a spark line on your table, um, can really help drive sort of that insight, that moment in your data story home of like, yeah, look, this is different, right? One of these is not like the other. Here's how easy it is to see that difference. So... Big picture here, use visuals in your reports. I am not interested in seeing five, six, seven pages of paragraphs only. No, 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 no. I want you to find ways and places to save words, to draw attention, to emphasize information, to make it clearer by using visuals in your reports. It is part of our good document design principles. It's part of helping people actually interact and use and understand our information. So use visuals in your reports. Oh, and with that, we have made it through. So I know information dense, Formal reports are also very information dense. So we just really want to think about, right, our audience. They're very like 
high stakes business forward. I'm trying to make a decision. I'm trying to like learn this thing, you know, type of person. And so they might be expecting these formal genres that have very kind of specific, pretty rigid expectations that make them a formal report. It's giving them uh, that correspondence at the beginning. So they're clued into what it is. It's giving them a clear title page, table of contents, list of figures, a summary. It's giving them good sections for intro, background, methods, uh, the results, the discussion, the budgets, the timelines. Like they're looking for those sections in these types of reports. And then last, it's information dense, so give them visuals. They'll be looking for some visuals. They'll be expecting to see data visualizations because they're trying to make a decision and you're trying to maybe persuade them about the proposal. A visual can really help you build up some of that ethos and logos and a visual can even help you with some of those pathos and that emotion because we can resonate and remember and feel a lot more with things that we see um, versus things that we just read. Um, and all of that kind of comes together to present the information that you want. Whew, this has been a good one. Talking about formal reports. Thanks, associates. Vibes. <laughs>